Part One of Mrs. Lirriper's Lodgings. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Algie Pug. Charles Dickens' Two Hundredth Anniversary Collection, Volume Four. Mrs. Lirriper's Lodgings by Charles Dickens, Part One. Chapter One. How Mrs. Lirriper Carried On the Business You ever would begin to be worried with letting lodgings that wasn't a lone woman with a living to get is a thing inconceivable to me, my dear. Excuse the familiarity, but it comes natural to me in my own little room, when wishing to open my mind to those that I can trust, and I should be truly thankful if they were all mankind, but such is not so, for have but a furnished bill in the window and your watch on the mantelpiece, and farewell to it if you turn your back for but a second, however gentlemanly the manners, nor is being of your own sex any safeguard, as I have reason, in the form of sugar-tongs to know, for that lady, and a fine woman she was, got me to run for a glass of water on the plea of going to be confined, which certainly turned out true, but it was in the station-house. Number 81 Norfolk Street, Strand, situated midway between the city and St. James, and within five minutes' walk with the principal places of public amusement, is my address. I have rented this house many years, as the parish rate-books will testify and i wish my landlord was as alive to the fact as i am myself but no bless you not a half a pound of paint to save his life nor so much my dear as a tile upon the roof though on your bended knees my dear you never have found number eighty one norfolk street strand advertised in bradshaw's railway guide and with the blessing of heaven you never will or shall so find it some there are who do not think it lowering themselves to make their names that cheap and even going the length of a portrait of the house not like it with a blot in every window and a coach and four at the door but what will suit wozenham's lower down on the other side of the way will not suit me miss wozenham having her opinions and me having mine though when it comes to systematic underbidding capable of being proved on oath in a court of justice and taking the form of if mrs lirriper names eighteen shillings a week i name fifteen and six it then comes to a settlement between yourself and your conscience supposing for the sake of argument your name to be wozenham which i am well aware it is not or my opinion of you would be greatly lowered and as to airy bedrooms and a night porter in constant attendance the less said the better the bedrooms being stuffy and the porter stuff it is forty years ago since me and my poor lirriper got married at st clement's danes where i now have a sitting in a very pleasant pew with genteel company and my own hassock and being partial to even league service not too crowded my poor lirriper was a handsome figure of a man with a beaming eye and a voice as mellow as a musical instrument made of honey and steel but he had ever been a free liver being in the commercial travelling line and travelling what he called a lime-kiln road a dry road ever my dear my poor lirriper says to me where i have to lay the dust with one drink or another all day long and half the night and it wears me ever and this led to his running through a good deal and might have been through the turnpike too when that dreadful horse that never would stand still for a single instant set off but for its being night and the gate shut and consequently took his will 
my poor Lirupa and the gig smashed to atoms and never spoke afterwards he was a handsome figure of a man and a man with a jovial heart and a sweet temper but if they had come up then they never could have given you the mellowness of his voice and indeed i considered photographs wanting in mellowness as a general rule and making you look like a new ploughed field my poor Lirupa being behindhand with the world and being buried at hatfield church in hertfordshire not that that was his native place but that he had a liking for the salisbury arms where we went upon our wedding day and passed as happy a fortnight as ever happy was i went round to the creditors and i says gentlemen i am acquainted with the fact that i am not answerable for my late husband's debts but i wish to pay them for i am his lawful wife and his good name is dear to me i am going into the lodgings gentlemen as a business and if i prosper every farthing that my late husband owed shall be paid for the sake of the love i bore him by this right hand it took a long time to do but it was done and the silver cream jug which is between ourselves and the bed and the mattress in my room upstairs or it would have found legs so sure as ever the furnished bill was up being presented by the gentleman engraved to mrs Lirriper, a mark of grateful respect for her honourable conduct gave me a turn which was too much for my feelings till mr betley which at that time had the parlours and loved his joke says cheer up mrs lirriper you should feel as if it was only your christening and they were your godfathers and godmothers which did promise for you and it brought me round and i don't mind confessing to you my dear that i then put up a sandwich and a drop of sherry in a little basket and went down to hatfield churchyard outside the coach and kissed my hand and laid it with a kind of proud and swelling love on my husband's grave though bless you had it taken me so long to clear his name that my wedding ring was worn quite fine and smooth when i laid it on the green green waving grass i am an old woman now and my good looks are gone but that's me my dear over the plate warmer and considered like in the times when you used to pay two guineas on ivory and took your chance pretty much how you came out which made you very careful how you left it about afterwards because people were turned so red and uncomfortable by mostly guessing it was somebody else quite different and there was once a certain person that had put his money in a hop business that came in one morning to pay his rent and his respects being the second floor that would have taken it down from its hook and put it in his breast pocket you understand my dear for the l he says of the original only there was no mellowness in his voice and i wouldn't let him but his opinion of it you may gather from his saying to it speak to me ember which was far from a rational observation no doubt but still a tribute to its being a likeness and i think myself it was like me when i was young and wore that sort of stays but it was about the lodgings that i was intending to hold forth and certainly i ought to know something of the business having been in it so long for it was early in the second year of my married life that i lost my poor lirriper and i set up at islington directly afterwards and afterwards came here being two houses and eight and thirty years and some losses and a deal of experience 
girls are your first trial after fixtures and they try you even worse than what i call the wandering christians though why they should roam the earth looking for bills and then coming in and viewing the apartments and stickling about terms and never at all wanting them or dreaming of taking them being so already provided is a mystery i should be thankful to have explained if by any miracle it could be it's wonderful they live so long and thrive so on it but i suppose the exercise makes it healthy knocking so much and going from house to house and up and down stairs all day and then their pretending to be so particular and punctual is a most astonishing thing looking at their watches and saying could you give me the refusal of the rooms to twenty minutes past eleven the day after to-morrow in the forenoon and supposing it to be considered essential by my friend from the country could there be a small iron bedstead put in this little room upon the stairs why when i was new to it my dear i used to consider before i promised and to make my mind anxious with the calculations and to get quite wearied out with disappointments but now i says certainly by all means well knowing it's a wandering christian and i shall hear no more about it indeed by this time i know most of the wandering christians by sight as well as they do be it being the habit of each individual revolving round london in that capacity to come back about twice a year and it's very remarkable that it runs in families and the children go up to it but even were it otherwise i should no sooner hear of the friend from the country which is a certain sign that i should nod and say to myself you're a wandering christian though whether they are as i have heard persons of small property with a taste for regular employment and frequent change of scene i cannot undertake to tell you girls as i was beginning to remark are one of your first and your lasting troubles being like your teeth which begin with convulsions and never cease tormenting you from the time you cut them till they cut you and then you don't want to part with them which seems hard but we must all succumb or by artificial and even where you get a will nine times out of ten you'll get a dirty face with it and naturally lodgers do not like good society to be shown in with a smear of black across the nose or a smudgy eyebrow where they pick up the black is a mystery i cannot solve as in the case of the willingest girl that ever came into a house half starved poor thing a girl so willing that i called her willing sophie down upon her knees scrubbing early and late and ever cheerful but always smiling with a black face and i says to sophie sophie my good girl have a regular day for your stoves and keep the width of the airy between yourself and the blacking and do not brush your hair with the bottoms of the saucepans and do not meddle with the snuffs of the candles and it stands to reason that it can no longer be yet there it was and always on her nose which turning up and being broad at the end seemed to boast of it and caused warning from a steady gentleman an excellent lodger with breakfast by the week but a little irritable and use of a sitting-room when required his words being mrs lirriper i have arrived at the point of admitting that the black is a man and a brother but only in a natural form and when it can't be got off well consequently i put poor sophie on to other work and forbid her answering the door or answering a bell on any account but she was so unfortunately willing that nothing would stop her fly up the kitchen stairs whenever a bell was heard to tingle i put it to her oh sophie sophie for goodness sake where does it come from to which that poor unlucky mortal bursting out crying to see me so vexed replied 
I took a deal of block to be ma'am when I was a small child, being much neglected, and I think it must be that it works out. So, it continuing to work out of that poor thing, and not having another fault to find with her, I says, Sophy, what do you seriously expect of my helping your way to New South Wales, where it might not be noticed? Nor did I ever repent of the money which was well spent, for she married the ship's cook on the voyage, himself a muleter and did well and lived happy and so far as ever i heard it was not noticed in a new state of society to her dying day in what way miss wozenham lower down on the other side of the way reconciled it to her feelings as a lady which she is not to entice mary ann perkinsop from my service is best known to herself i do not know and i do not wish to know how opinions are formed at wozenham's on any point but mary ann perkinsop although i behaved handsomely to her and she behaved unhandsomely to be was worth her weight in gold as overawing lodgers without driving them away for lodgers would be far more sparing of their bills with mary ann than i ever knew them to be with maid or mistress which is a great triumph especially when accompanied with a cast in the eye and a bag of bones but it was a steadiness of her way with them through her father's having failed in pork it was mary ann's looking so respectable in her person and being so strict in her spirits that conquered the tea and sugarous gentleman for he weighed them both in a pair of scales every morning that i have ever had to deal with and no lamb grew meeker still it afterwards came round to me that miss wozenham happening to pass and seeing mary ann take in the milk of a milkman that made free in a rosy-faced way i think no worse of him with every girl in the street but was quite frozen up like the statue at charing cross by her saw mary ann's value in the lodging business and went as high as one pound per quarter more consequently mary ann with not a word betwixt us says if you would provide yourself mrs lirriper in a month from this day i have already done the same which hurt me and i said so and she then hurt me more by insinuating that her father having failed in pork had laid her open to it my dear i do assure you it's a harassing thing to know what kind of girls to give the preference to for if they are lively they get belled off their legs and if they are sluggish you suffer from it yourself in complaints and if they are sparkling eyed they get made love to and if they are smart in their persons they try on your lodgers bonnets and if they are musical i defy you to keep them away from bands and organs and allowing for any difference you like in their heads their heads will be always out of the window just the same then what the gentlemen like in girls the ladies don't which is fruitful hot water for all parties and then there's temper though such a temper as carol and maxie's i hope not often a good-looking black-eyed girl was carolyn and a comely maid girl to your cost when she did break out and laid about her as took place first and last through a married couple come to see london in the first floor and the lady very high and it was supposed not liking the good looks of carolyn having none of her own to spare but anyhow she did try carolyn though that was no excuse so one afternoon caroline comes down into the kitchen flushed and flashing and she says to me mrs lilliper that woman in the fast has aggravated me past bearing i says caroline keep your temper caroline says with a curdling laugh keep my temper you're right mrs lilliper so i will capital d her burst out caroline you might have struck me into the centre of the earth with a feather when she said i'll give her a touch of the temper that i keep 
Carolyn downs with her hair, my dear, screeches and rushes upstairs, I following as fast as my trembling legs could bear me. But before I got into the room, the dinner-cloth and the pink and white service all dragged off upon the floor with a crash, and the new-married couple on their backs in the fire-grate, him with the shovel and tongs and a dish of cucumber across him, and a mercy it was summer-time. Carolyn, I says, be calm. But she snatches off my cap, and tears it in her teeth, as she passes me, then pounces on the new-married lady, makes her a bundle of ribbons, takes her by the two ears, and knocks the back of her head upon the carpet. Murder! Screaming all the time, policemen running down the street, and Wozenham's windows. Judge of my feelings when I came to know it, thrown up, and Miss Wozenham calling out from the balcony with crocodile's tears. Has Mrs. Lirriper been overcharging someone to badness? She'll be murdered, I always thought so. Policeman, save her. My dear, four of them, and Caroline behind the chiffonier attacking with the poker, and when disarmed, prize-fighting with her double fists, and down and up and up and down, and dreadful. But I couldn't bear to see the poor young creature roughly handled, and her hair torn when they got the better of her, and I says, Gentlemen, policemen, pray remember that her sex is the sex of your mothers and sisters and your sweethearts, and God bless them and you. And there she was sitting down on the ground, handcuffed, taking breath against the skirting board, and them cool with their coats in strips, and all she says was, Mrs. Lirriper, I'm sorry as ever I touched you, for you're a kind motherly old thing. And it made me think that I had often wished I had been a mother indeed, and how would my heart have felt if I had been the mother of that girl? Well, you know, it turned out at the police office that she had done it before, and she had her clothes away and was sent to prison, and when she was to come out I trotted off to the gate in the evening with just a morsel of jelly in that little basket of mine to give her a mite of strength to face the world again, and there I met with a very decent mother waiting for her son through bad company, and a stubborn one he was, with his half-boots not laced. So out came Carolyn, and I says, Carolyn, come along with me, and sit down under the wall where it's retired, and eat a little trifle that I have brought with me to do you good. And she throws her arms around my neck, and says, sobbing, Oh, why were you never a mother, when there are such mothers as there are? She says, and in half a minute more she begins to laugh, and says, Did I really tear your cup to shreds? And when I told her, You certainly did so, Carolyn, she laughed again, and said while she patted my face, then why do you wear such queer old caps you dear old thing if you hadn't worn such queer old caps i don't think i could have done it even then fancy the girl nothing could get out of her what she was going to do except oh she would do well enough and we parted she being very thankful and kissing my hands and i never more saw or heard of that girl except that i shall always believe that a very genteel cap which was brought anonymous to me one saturday night in an oilskin basket by a most impertinent young sparrow of a monkey whistling with dirty shoes on the clean steps, and playing the harp on the airy railings with a hoop-stick that came from Caroline. What you lay yourself open to, my dear, in the way of being the object of uncharitable suspicions when you go into the lodging business, I have not the words to tell you, but never was I so dishonourable as to have two keys, nor would I willingly think it even of Miss Wozenham lower down on the other side of the way, sincerely hoping that it may not be, though doubtless at the same time money cannot come from nowhere, and it is not reason to suppose that Bradshaw has put it in for love, be it blotty as it may. 
it is a hardship hurting to the feelings that lodgers open their minds so wide to the idea that you are trying to get the better of them and shut their minds so close to the idea that they are trying to get the better of you but as major jackman says to me i know the ways of this circular world mrs lirriper and that's one of them all round it and many is the little ruffle in my mind that the major has smooth for he is a clever man who has seen much dear dear thirteen years have passed though it seems but yesterday since i was sitting with my glasses on at the open front parlour window one evening in august the parlours then being vacant reading yesterday's paper my eyes for print being poor though i still am thankful to say a long sight at a distance when i hear a gentleman come posting across the road and up the street in a dreadful rage talking to himself in a fury and being and seeing somebody by george says he out loud and clutching his walking-stick i'll go to mrs lirriper's which is mrs lirriper's then looking round and seeing me he flourishes his hat right off his head as if i had been the queen and he says excuse the intrusion madam but pray madam can you tell me what number in this street there resides a well-known and much-respected lady by the name of lirriper a little flustered though i must say gratified i took off my glasses and curtsied and said sir mrs lirriper is your humble servant astonishing says he a million pardons madam may i ask you to have the kindness to direct one of your domestics to open the door to a gentleman in search of apartments by the name of jackman i had never heard the name but a politer gentleman i never hoped to see for says he madam i am shocked at your opening the door yourself to no worthier a fellow than jemmy jackman after you madam i never proceed a lady then he comes into the parlours and he sniffs and he says ah these are parlours not musty cupboards he says but parlours and no smell of coal-sacks now my dear it having been remarked by some inimical to the whole neighbourhood that it always smells of coal-sacks which might prove a drawback to lodgers if encouraged i says to the major gently though firmly that i think he's referring to arundel or surrey or howard but not norfolk madam says he i refer to wozenham's lower down over the way madam you can form no notion what wozenham's is madam it is a vast coal-sack and miss wozenham has the principles and manners of a female heaver madam from the manner in which i have heard her mention you I, she has no appreciation of a lady and from the manner in which she has conducted herself towards me i know she has no appreciation of a gentleman madam my name is jackman should you require of any other reference than what i have already said i name the bank of england perhaps you know it such was the beginning of the major's occupying the parlours and from that hour to this the same and a most obliging lodger and punctual in all respects except one irregular which i need not particularly specify but made up for by his being a protection and at all times ready to fill in the papers of the assessed taxes and juries and that and once collared a young man with a drawing-room clock under his coat and once on the parapets with his own hands and blankets put out the kitchen chimney and afterwards attending the summons made a most eloquent speech against the parish before the magistrates and saved the engine and ever quite the gentleman though passionate and certainly miss wozenham's detaining the trunks and umbrella was not in a liberal spirit though it may have been according to her rights in law or an act i would myself have stooped to 
the major being so much the gentleman that though he is far from tall he seems almost so when he has his shirt frill out and his frock coat on and his hat with the curly brims and in what service he was i cannot truly tell you my dear whether militia or foreign for i have never heard him name himself as major but always simple jimmy jackman and once soon after he came when i felt it my duty to let him know that miss wozenham had put it about that he was no major and i took the liberty of adding which you are sir his words were madam at any rate i am not a minor and sufficient for the day is the evil thereof which cannot be denied to be the sacred truth nor yet his military ways of having his boots with only the dirt brushed off them taken to him in the front parlour every morning on a clean plate and varnishing them himself with a little sponge and a saucer and a whistle in a whisper so sure as ever his breakfast is ended and so neat his ways that i never saw his linen which is scrupulous though more in quality than quantity seeing that neither that nor his mustachios which to the best of my belief are done at the same time and which are as black and shining as his boots his head of hair being a lovely white it was the third year nearly up with the majors being in the parlours that early one morning in the month of february when parliament was coming on and you may therefore suppose a number of impostors were about ready to take hold of anything they could get a gentleman and the lady from the country came in to view the second and i will remember that i had been looking out of window and had watched them and the heavy sleet driving down the street together looking for bills i did not quite take to the face of the gentleman though he was good-looking too but the lady was a very pretty young thing and delicate and it seemed too rough for her to be out at all though she had only come from the adelphi hotel which would not have been much above a quarter of a mile if the weather had been less severe now it did so happen my dear that i had been forced to put five shillings a weekly additional on the second in consequence of a loss from running away full dressed as if going out to a dinner party which was very artful and made me rather suspicious taking it along with parliament so when the gentleman proposed three months certain and the money in advance and leave then reserved to renew on the same terms for six months or more i says i was not quite certain but i might have engaged myself to another party but would step downstairs and look into it if they would take a seat they took a seat and i went down to the handle of the major's door that i had already begun to consult finding it a great blessing and i knew by his whistling in a whisper that he was varnishing his boots which was generally considered private however he kindly calls out if it's you madam come in and i went in and i told him well madam says the major rubbing his nose as i did fear at the moment with the black sponge but it was only his knuckle he being always neat and dexterous with his fingers well madam i suppose you'd be glad of the money i was delicate of saying yes too out for a little extra colour rose into the major's cheeks and there was irregularity of which i will not specifically specify in a quarter which i will not name i am of opinion madam says the major that when money is ready for you when it is ready for you mrs lirriper you ought to take it what is there against it madam in this case upstairs i really cannot say there is anything against it sir still i thought i would consult you you said a newly married couple i think madam says the major i says yes evidently and indeed the young lady mentioned to me in a casual way that she had not been married many months 
the major rubbed his nose again and stirred the varnish round and round in his little saucer with his piece of sponge and took to his whistling in a whisper for a few moments then he says you would call it a good let madam oh certainly a good let sir see they renew for the additional six months would have put you about very much madam if if the worst was to come to the worst says the major well i hardly know i says to the major it depends upon circumstances would you object sir for instance i says the major object jimmy jackman mrs lirriper close with the proposal so i went upstairs and accepted and they came in next day which was saturday and the major was so good as to draw up a memorandum of an agreement in a beautiful round hand and expressions that sounded to me equally legal and military and mr edson signed it on the monday morning and the major called upon mr edson on tuesday and mr edson called upon the major on the wednesday and the second and the parlours were as friendly as could be wished the three months paid for had run out and we had got without any fresh overtures as to payment into may my dear when there came an obligation upon mr edson to go on a business expedition right across the isle of man which fell quite unexpected upon that pretty little thing and is not a place that according to my views is particularly in the way to anywhere at any time but that may be a matter of opinion so short a notice was it that he was to go next day and dreadfully she cried poor pretty and i'm sure i cried too when i saw her on the cold pavement in the sharp east wind it being a very backward spring that year taking a last leave of him with her pretty bright hair blowing this way and that and her arms clinging round his neck and him saying there 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 no let me go peggy and by this time it was plain that what the major had been so accommodating as to say he would not object to happening in the house would happen in it and i told her as much when he was gone while i comforted her with my arm up the staircase for i says you will soon have others to keep up for my pretty and you must think of that his letter never came when it ought to have come and what she went through morning after morning when the postman brought none for her the very postman himself compassionated when she ran down to the door and yet we cannot wonder at its being calculated to blunt the feelings to have all the trouble of other people's letters and none of the pleasure and doing it oftener in the mud and mizzle than not and at a rate of wages more resembling little britain than great but at last one morning when she was too poorly to come running downstairs he says to me with a pleased look in his face that made me next to love the man in his uniform coat though he was dripping wet i have taken you first in the street this morning mrs lirriper but here's the one for mrs edson i went up to her bedroom with it as fast as ever i could go and she sat up in bed when she saw it and kissed it and tore it open and then a blank stare came upon her it's very short she says lifting her large eyes to my face oh mrs lirriper it's very short i says my dear mrs edson no doubt that's because your husband hadn't time to write more just at that time no doubt no doubt says she and puts her two hands on her face and turns round in her bed i shut her softly in and i crept downstairs and i tapped at the major's door and when the major having his thin slices of bacon in his own dutch oven saw me he came out of his chair and put me down on the sofa hush says he i see something's the matter don't speak take time i says oh major i'm afraid there's cruel work upstairs yes yes says he i begin to be afraid of it take time 
and then in opposition to his own words he rages out frightfully and says i shall never forgive myself madam that i jimmy jackman didn't see it all that morning didn't go straightway upstairs when my boot sponge was in my hand didn't force it down his throat and choke him dead with it on the spot the major and me agreed when we came to ourselves that just at the present we could do no more than take on to suspect nothing and use our best endeavours to keep that poor young creature quiet and what i ever could have done without the major when it got about among the organ men that quiet was our object is unknown for he made lion and tiger war upon them to that degree that without seeing it i could not have believed it was in any gentleman to have such a power of bursting out with fire-irons walking-sticks water-jugs coals potatoes off his table the very hat off his head and at the same time so furious in foreign languages that they would stand with their handles half turned fixed like the sleeping ugly for i cannot say beauty ever to see the postman come near the house now gave me such fear that it was a reprieve when he went by but in about another ten days or a fortnight he says again here's one for mrs edson is she pretty well she is pretty well postman but not well enough to rise so early as she used which was so far gospel truth i carried the letter in to the major at his breakfast and i says tottering major i have not the courage to take it up to her it's an ill-looking villain of a letter says the major i have not the courage major i says again in a tremble to take it up to her after seeming lost in consideration for some moments the major says raising his head as if something new and useful had occurred to his mind mrs lirriper i shall never forgive myself that i jimmy jackman didn't go straight upstairs that morning when my boot sponge was in my hand and force it down his throat and choke him dead with it major i says a little hasty you didn't do it which is a blessing for it would have done no good and i think your sponge was better employed on your honourable boots so we got to be rational and planned that i should tap at her bedroom door and lay the letter on the mat outside and wait on the upper landing for what might happen and never was gunpowder cannon-balls or shells or rockets more dreaded than that dreadful letter was by me as i took it to the second floor a terrible loud scream sounded through the house the minute after she had opened it and i found her on the floor lying as if her life was gone my dear i never looked at the face of the letter which was lying opened by her for there was no occasion everything i needed to bring her round the major brought up with his own hands besides running out to the chemist for what was not in the house and likewise having the fiercest of all his many skirmishes with a musical instrument representing a ballroom i do not know in what particular country and company waltzing in and out at folding doors with rolling eyes when after a long time i saw her coming to i slipped on the landing till i heard her cry and then i went in and says cheerily mrs edson you're not well my dear and it's not to be wondered at as if i had not been in before whether she believed or disbelieved i cannot say and it would signify nothing if i could but i stayed by her for hours and then she god ever blesses me and says she will try to rest for her head is bad major i whispers looking into the parlours i beg and pray of you don't go out the major whispers madam trust me i will do no such thing how is she i says major the good lord above us only knows what burns and rages in her poor mind i left her sitting at her window i am going to sit at mine 
It came on afternoon, and it came on evening. Norfolk is a delightful street to lodge in, provided you don't go lower down, but of a summer evening, when the dust and waste-paper lie in it, and stray children play in it, and a kind of gritty calm and bake settles on it, and a peal of church-bells is practising in the neighbourhood, it is a trifle dull. Never have I seen it since at such a time, and never shall I see it ever more at such a time, without seeing the dull June evening, when that forlorn young creature sat at her open corner window on the second, and me at my open corner window, the other corner, on the third. Something merciful, something wiser, and better far than my own self, had moved me while it was yet light to sit in my bonnet and shawl, and as the shadows fell and the tide rose, I could sometimes, when I put out my head and looked at her window below, see that she leaned out a little, looking down the street. It was just settling dark when I saw her in the street. So fearful of losing sight of her that it almost stops my breath while I tell it, I went downstairs faster than I ever moved in all my life, and only tapped with my hand at the Major's door in passing it and slipping out. She was gone already. I made the same speed down the street, and when I came to the corner of Howard Street, I saw that she had turned it, and was there, plain before me, going towards the west. Oh, with what a thankful heart I saw her going along! She was quite unacquainted with London, and had very seldom been out for more than an airing in her own street, where she knew two or three little children belonging to neighbours, and had sometimes stood among them at the street looking at the water. She must be going at hazard, I knew. Still she kept the by-streets quite correctly as long as they would serve her, and then turned up into the Strand. But at every corner I could see her head turned one way, and that way was always the river way. It may have been only the darkness and quiet of the Adelphi that caused her to strike into it, but she struck into it much as readily as if she had set out to go there, which perhaps was the case. She went straight down to the terrace and along it, and looked over the iron rail, and I often woke afterwards in my own bed with the horror of seeing her do it. The desertion of the wharf below, and the flowing of the high water there, seemed to settle her purpose. She looked about, as if to make out the way down, and she struck out the right way, or the wrong way, I don't know which, for I don't know the place before or since, and I followed her the way she went. It was noticeable that all this time she never once looked back, but there was now a great change in the manner of her going, and instead of going at a steady quick walk, with her arms folded before her, among the dark dismal arches, she went in a wild way with her arms opened wide, as if they were wings and she was flying to her death. We were on the wharf, and she stopped. I stopped. I saw her hands at her bonnet-strings, and I rushed between her and the brink, and took her round the waist with both my arms. She might have drowned me, I felt then, but she could never have got quit of me. Down to that moment my mind had all been in a maze, and not half an idea had I had in it what I should say to her. But the instant I touched her, it came to me like magic, and I had my natural voice and my senses, and even almost my breath. "'Mrs. Edson,' I says, "'my dear, take care. However did you lose your way and stumble on a dangerous place like this? Why, you must have come down here by the most perplexing streets in all London. No wonder you are lost, I'm sure. And this place, too. Why, I thought nobody ever got here, except me to order my coals and the Major in the parlours to smoke his cigar. 
for I saw that blessed man close by, pretending to him. Hum, ah, hum, coughs the Major. And goodness gracious me, I says, why, here he is. Halloa, who goes there? says the Major, in a military manner. Well, I says, if this don't beat everything, don't you know us, Major Jackman? Halloa, says the Major, who calls on Jimmy Jackman? and more out of breath he was and did it less like life than i should have expected why here's mrs edson major i says strolling out to cool her poor head which has been very bad as mr way and got lost and goodness knows where she might have got to but for me coming here to drop an order into my coal merchant's letter-box and you coming here to smoke your cigar and you really are not well enough my dear i says to her to be half so far from home without me and your arm will be very acceptable i am sure major i says to him and i know she may lean upon it as heavy as she likes and now we have both got her thanks be above one on each side she was all in a cold shiver and she so continued till i laid her on her own bed and up to the early morning she held me by the hand and moaned and moaned oh wicked 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 but when at last I made believe to droop my head and be overpowered with a dead sleep, I heard that poor young creature give such touching and such humble thanks for being preserved from taking her own life in her madness that I thought I should have cried my eyes out on the counterpane, and I knew she was safe. Being well enough to do and able to afford it, me and the Major laid our little plans next day while she was asleep worn out and so i says to her as soon as i could do it nicely mrs edson my dear when mr edson paid me the rent for these father six months she gave a start and i felt her large eyes look at me but i went on with it and with my needlework i can't say that i am quite sure i dated the receipt right could you let me look at it she laid her frozen cold hand upon mine and she looked through me when i was forced to look up from my needlework but i had taken the precaution of having on my spectacles i have no receipt says she ah then he has got it i says in a careless way it's of no great consequence a receipt's a receipt from that time she always had hold of my hand when i could spare it which was generally only when i read to her for of course she and me had our bits of needlework to plod at and neither of us was very handy at those little things though i am still rather proud of my share in them too considering and though she took to all i read to her i used to fancy that next to what was taught upon the mount she took most of all to his gentle compassion for us poor women and to his young life and to how his mother was proud of him and treasured his sayings in her heart she had a grateful look in her eyes that never 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 will be out of mine till they are closed in my last sleep and when i chanced to look at her without thinking of it i would always meet that look and she would often offer me her trembling lip to kiss much more like a little affectionate half-broken hearted child than ever i can imagine any grown person one time the trembling of this poor lip was so strong and her tears ran down so fast that i thought she was going to tell me all her woe so i takes her two hands in mine and i says no my dear not now you had best not try to do it now wait for better times when you've got over this and are strong and then you shall tell me whatever you will shall it be agreed 
With our hands still joined, she nodded her head many times, as she lifted my hands and put them to her lips and to her bosom. Only one word now, my dear, I says. Is there any one? She looked at inquiringly. Any one? That I can go to. She shook her head. No one that I can bring? She shook her head. No one is wanted by me, my dear. Now that may be considered past and gone. Not much more than a week afterwards, for this was far on in the time of our being so together, I was bending over at her bedside with my ear down to her lips, by turns listening for her breath and looking for a sign of life in her face. At last it came in a solemn way, not in a flash, but like a kind of pale faint light brought very slow to the face. She said something to me that had no sound in it, but I saw she asked me, Who's this death? And then I says, Poor dear, poor dear, I think it is. Knowing somehow that she wanted me to move her weak right hand, I took it and laid it on her breast, and then folded her other hand upon it, and she prayed a good, good prayer, and I joined in it, Poor me, though there were no words spoke. Then I brought the baby in its wrappers from where it lay, and I says, My dear, this is sent to a childless old woman. This is for me to take care of. The trembling lip was put towards my face for the last time, and I dearly kissed it. Yes, my dear, I says, please God, me and the Major. I don't know how to tell it right, but I saw her soul brighten and leap up and get free and fly away in the grateful look. End of part one of Mrs. Lirriper's Lodgings by Charles Dickens